0: Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now.
1: Good morning again, beloved friends, and welcome to this special gathering on this sacred day of All Saints. Today, we come together to commemorate this and celebrate the lives of the faithful departed. Those who have gone before us, leaving an indelible mark on our hearts and in the history of our faith. All Saints Day is a time when we honor the people who have walked their path of life, inspiring us with their stories while holding God's love and grace. As we reflect on the lives of these saints, we are reminded that our faith is not bound by the constraints of time or earthly existence. It is a faith that transcends generations, connecting us with those who have come before us and those who will follow. Through their examples, we find inspiration to deepen our spiritual journeys and to aspire to the good news that unites us with the great cloud of witnesses. Today's text centers us on a message at a newly occupied tomb surrounded by the typical mix of grief, loss, accusation, and anger that accompanies such a place. In that unlikely setting, Jesus does something that occurs nowhere else in the Bible. Jesus, God in flesh, weeps and grieves. But why does this matter to us? On this All Saints Sunday, we remember the long line of the faithful who have come before us, whom we honor and treasure. Yet we may also wonder just where we see God's glory in such a procession that always ends up at death. We know from experience how death, with all its daily reminders, raises the tides of emotion that lie beneath our floorboards. Where is it that we glimpse God's glory in such an abyss? I hope we can swim to those questioning waters today together. Going back to the text, and later in the same chapter in which Jesus wept, Jesus raises his best friend, Lazarus, saying, the dead man came out. It would be difficult to imagine a more abnormal sentence in the Bible. This is utterly beyond our experiences. We've been given plenty of indication earlier in John 11 about what will happen, we may still be startled by the man shuffling out of the tomb, unexpectedly alive, rags and flesh seamlessly intact. Surely such a miracle is where God and the grace of God blazes forth for Christians. Except this expectation doesn't seem to play out. In John 11:36 through 37, the people at the funeral are divided about Jesus. Some affirm his love. Others criticize him for not doing more for the sadly dead Lazarus. The reaction is no less divided, but it is more toxic. After Lazarus stumbles his way back into the light of the living. Jesus ensures freedom for Lazarus in verse 44, but the following verses note that although some believe because of what they saw, others begin to plan how to kill both Jesus and Lazarus and thus stop the outrageous behavior of one who calls the dead back to life, and of the dead who have the eternal temerity to obey. This funeral turns from a tragedy into a devastation. Perhaps such reactions prompt what most, the most interpretively puzzling aspect of this text, which may be the profound emotional response of Jesus. He is greatly disturbed in John eleven thirty three and 38, a word that commonly signifies indignation or anger in the original Greek. He's greatly moved in verse 33, and he weeps in verse 35. What is all this about? Is it an indication of human grief felt by Jesus? Is he upset because the crowd's grief is hypocritical? Is he angry at the people's continued inability to believe? Is he upset because his death and tomb are approaching too? Yes. Everything that Jesus felt was valid and real. Grief isn't triggered by just one thing. It holds numerous layers moving together in tandem. Commentators are intrigued by this emotional Jesus, as I am. And all of these suggestions have some plausibility within John's narrative. Unfortunately, John doesn't seem, to inter- doesn't seem interested in clarifying the reasons for Jesus' emotions here. Whatever the precise trigger is worth noticing that Jesus does not remain unmoved in the presence of death and grief. Such things are not overcome by a stoic lack of emotion. That is not how God's grace will appear to us. No, God feels and confronts the emotional creatures that swim within his waters. Grace is extended in the act of feeling and being moved by our experiences, however painful they may be to let exist. That emotion is precisely where God's grace meets us today, friends. There's something beautiful that blooms for the readers and observers of Jesus' emotional waters. His emotions are poured out in memory of his dear friend for his love was so deep that it moved him greatly. Lazarus's death, as awful as that reality was for Jesus, caused the Messiah to feel despite his ability to resurrect him. That attachment forged a bond even greater than his fleshly body could control. Perhaps because God knew that it was sacred and holy to feel so much. and that no rationality was needed to permit oneself to cry. The gift Jesus extended to us in this story validates and exemplifies the mystery that is our emotions. They are divine, they are a gift, and grace is touched even there by the image of God. But now, what of this great cloud of witnesses that still needs to be understood today? The concept seems so fantastic and foreign to our realities that it can be hard to believe. But I want to offer a different perspective for us to consider. What if each of us is the gateway to the great cloud of witnesses? I know what you're thinking. Justin is lost his marbles, perhaps. But I wonder how the people we are thinking about today are speaking through us. I think I have to tell my friend's story to paint my picture. While playing football during my undergraduate studies, I met who I considered to be my best friend. For privacy's sake, we'll call him Brian. Brian didn't come from a great area in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He had to be resourceful to survive. He was intelligent, persuasive, and spontaneous. There wasn't a day that didn't go by where we weren't up to some adventure or novel shenanigan together, as many college people are. Energetic and lively, we were on top of the world in our coming of age. As we grew closer together, I learned much about his hardships. But more importantly, I learned why he fought so hard to accomplish his dreams. You see, Brian came from a home where he, wasn't, where he was a first-generation college student. Athletics was his ticket out. Athletics gave him hope and access to a better future, but for his family, he strived to gather as much knowledge and resources as possible to bring it back home. He wanted to save them from the hardships they endured. He aimed to benefit everyone in his circle. His life was a vessel for his community, something he dedicated with agency, intention, and joy. What Brian wasn't ready for was the sudden diagnosis diagnosis of his mother's cancer. She died three months into my sophomore year. Much like Jesus, he was greatly moved. A tattoo of her thumbprint that was used to sign her final letters to him and his siblings is now forever etched on his side. His mother's mark will always be carried with him. Hang on to that visual friends. Brian was the kind of person who laughed through every pain and put a smile on someone else's face to transfer his suffering into something good. It was an effective coping mechanism for him, but he rarely let himself be vulnerable in the presence of others, especially a close friend like me. Perhaps his noble goal to provide isolated him from vulnerability. I accompanied him in every stride, I could see the emotions swimming in the pools of his eyes, but he never dared acknowledge them with me. I'll never know what kept him from opening up to me, but I wished he would. It wasn't until years later that I was capable of seeing something truly beautiful alongside that grief. Everything about him was infused with his mother's presence. Not just the tattoo, From his country accent to the way he walked on his tiptoes mid-stride to his food preferences, it was all an echo of her. His mother molded and shaped him to be the person he was. Despite never getting to tangibly meet her, I had the privilege of meeting her through every quirk and word he uttered. What a powerful realization to know that Brian holds every close relationship he has ever fostered within himself. His mother lives through him every day. I've carried that message with me ever since. In my understanding of the cloud of witnesses, we hold them in every fiber of our being. Every connection we make with someone influences us to our core. As I look into the eyes of each of you today, I see the reflection of numerous others, each speaking through you in a different way every interaction word and syllable is infused with the presence of these meaningful relationships that build us our actions unconscious and conscious then allow for their voices to be known to everyone around us i'm curious what collection of saints are you speaking through you today friends how Brian longs for his mother's embrace just one more time. I grieve with him in that loss. Still, when I was able to witness his mother through his being, I saw a beautiful soul knitted within him. I can't help but feel joy at the thought that he's now knitted in me. And because of his existence, his mother's residue remains in me as well, shining forth through my words to you today. The saints are vestige gifts handed to our friends, our kids, and our neighbors. And this is what All Saints Day is for, not just to remember those from long ago or those whose deaths are painfully near, and not just to point ahead to the ultimate promise of resurrection, though all of these are certainly part of this day and to be affirmed, but more centrally, however, This day is about what all God's saints have known and experienced, that here and now, there is no death, grief, or fear so deep and dark that the grace of Jesus cannot reach into it, call us out, and bring life through those tumultuous waters. That promised life is much like a stained glass window, a collection of colors uniquely and wonderfully made, collectively representing a greater whole, The person you are are, is established by this mosaic of fragments. And so, Jesus wept because life is so precious. There was dust in his blood and he was greatly moved. That dust we will always carry, but the blood still holds life. Life that holds the power to paint a fragment on someone else's window.
0: Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org, that's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L dot org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us.